Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us for a very special service with Lead Pastor David Fossil. The teaching time today is in two parts, and Pastor Dave teaches about communion and baptism and asks if they are sacraments or ordinances. Join us as Pastor Dave helps us understand what communion and baptism are and how they relate to our lives as Christ followers. Okay, Bay Hills, turn in your Bibles to page 812, page 812, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to do something this morning that uh, we haven't done in a long time. We, we're going to break up the teaching time. Uh, that's one thing we're going to do, but we're also going to spend some time talking about the two ordinances of the church. Uh, the two ordinances of the church are baptism and Lord's Supper. And uh, so some people will call them sacraments. Maybe you grew up in a tradition where those things were called sacraments. Um, just to make sure we're clear, there's actually a pretty big difference between a sacrament and an ordinance. Even though people refer to baptism and, and Lord's Supper and use those two different terms. Uh, a sacrament, when people use that word, they're referring to something uh, you need to do in order to receive God's grace. That's the word sacrament. Uh, an ordinance is something you, you need to do in response to God's grace. Um, one thing is to receive God's grace, one to, re- to response. So, for example, there are sometimes, if you've ever seen or heard, someone's about ready to die and, and someone will say, well, we have to make sure that they get baptized or we need to make sure that they have communion because they understand it as a sacrament. You, you need to do these things to get saved. People who use the word ordinance say, no, you don't need it to get saved. You need it to do these things if you want to obey God. So there's a pretty huge difference between those words. At Bay Hills, we believe baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances. You don't have to do them to get saved, but they're pretty important deal. They're, they're pretty significant. Now, the Lord's Supper we talk about quite a bit because we do it once a month. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time doing it, but I, I, I want to read through with you just a couple verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The key phrase in 1 Corinthians 11 is that one right there on the screen. Do this in remembrance of me. That's what Jesus said to his disciples and, and gave instructions thereafter to us, the church. He said, when you do this communion thing, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. Now, question, what does he want you to remember? Now, some of you are having answers come in your mind right now. Um, In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there's at least three things he wants you to remember before you participate in the Lord's Supper. Okay, so let me just kind of walk through a, a couple of these with you. Verse 23 gives us the first one. These are the famous verses, the ones that everyone talks about and reads normally when, when we start uh, having Lord's Supper. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. This is just before he's going to be crucified. He took bread when he had given thanks. He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he's taking a loaf of bread. He's breaking it. And he's saying, symbolically, this is what's going to happen when I go to the cross. Verse 25. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The first thing he wants us to Remember, before we take Lord's Supper, is remember his sacrifice. Remember what he did for us, for you, on the cross. Some of you will remember about a decade ago, the movie, The Passion of the Christ, came out. Produced by Mel Gibson. Uh, just, just before Easter, they released it. Sometimes we've shown a couple of the clips on Sunday morning here. Uh, when I went to that movie, more than anything else, it changed my perspective on one thing. Lord's Supper. 
Because the Lord's Supper says the very first thing I'm to do when I come to take Lord's Supper is I'm to reflect and to remember and to thank him for his sacrifice. The problem is that, like many of you, I grew up going to church. And I did the vacation Bible school thing, and I did the Sunday school thing, and, and I did the church thing, and I watched the, you know, the Jesus of Nazareth film from the 1970s and everything. And I got to tell you, when I saw the crucifixion scene, this is going to sound horrible when I say this, when I saw the crucifixion thing, and I saw the flanographs, and I, you know, colored in the pictures of the crucifixion, honestly, it, it didn't look that bad. It didn't look that bloody. It didn't look that violent until I saw the passion of the Christ. And it changed my whole perspective. The most authentic portrayal of what Roman crucifixion was like. And it made me remember this passage right here. Jesus says, when you come to the Lord's table, this broken piece of bread reflects what happened to my son's body. I want you to remember that crucifixion was violent and it was brutal and it was awful. And he doesn't want you to remember because he wants to have one up on you. He wants you to remember it in the context of that's what he had to do to get rid of sin for you. So the first thing you are to do when you come to the Lord's Supper is very, it could be, it could take you three seconds, five five seconds. Dear God, I want to thank you for what you did for me on the cross. That's point number one. You remember what he did for you on the cross. The second thing he wants you to remember comes in verse 27. In fact, all the way from 27 to 32, he's talking about the same thing. Therefore... Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. In other words, I can do point number one. I can remember the cross, but I can still mess up on this one. Something about having an unworthy manner participating. In fact, it's considered sin. Verse 28, he explains it a little bit more. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and he drinks the cup. So, first thing I'm to remember is, thank you, God, for what you did for me on the cross. Second thing I'm to remember is, because of his sacrifice, because of what he did for me, my life should be different. I must never forget that. I don't just get to be saved and not change. No, my life should be changing. So, step number one, thank you, God, for what you did for me on the cross. Step number two, God, is there anything you want me to confess and change in my life? Now, if you ask him that very simple question, you know how God is. He's going to put one or two or three things in your mind, right? And when he does that, God, what do you want me to change and confess? He brings it to mind and you confess it. Dear God, sorry that I did that. Sorry that I do that. Give me the discipline to not live that, do that, say that, be that kind of person anymore. And then take the cup and the bread. Remember what he did for you on the cross. Remember that that means you are to live a different life. The third thing you are to remember, hardly anyone talks about. It's right here, but we never talk about it. It's verse 26. Whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back again. So I'm not only to remember what he did for me on the cross, I'm not only to remember that my life should be different, I'm supposed to, instead of rewinding the tape and looking at the cross, I'm supposed to fast forward the tape and remember that he's coming back. When I come to the communion table, I should take some time, you should take some time to reflect on the fact that he's coming back again. Reflect on the fact that you get to spend an eternity with him in heaven. Here's what I want you to do today. In a couple moments, the band's going to come back up, we're going to sing a couple songs. Whenever you're ready, there's a couple tables at the back, a couple tables at the front. Whenever you're ready, you come and get the cup, get the piece of bread. I want you to go back to your seat. If you want, you can sit down, and I want you to do three things. Dear God, thank you for what you did for me on the cross. It can be as simple as that. 
Two, dear God, is there anything you want me to change or confess? Shut up and listen for a second. See what he puts in your mind. And whatever he puts in your mind, confess it. Here's the third thing I want you to do. I want you to reflect on this point that he's going to come back again. And I want you to reflect. What are you most looking forward to when Jesus comes back? Well, a lot of times we don't think about that, do we? Because we're so attached to this world. We're so attached to my stuff. We're so attached to my kids, to my house, to my job. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with those things except the bible says that our hope and our focus should really be on being with christ forever what are you most looking forward to maybe you're most looking forward to seeing a loved one that has passed on maybe you're most looking forward to meeting a biblical character maybe you're most looking forward to some of the activities you get to do in heaven you go what do you mean activities well he says there's many rooms in his house heaven's not going to be like one big long church service and all god's people said yeah, no, none of us want that, right? There's going to be some worship, right? But there's all kinds of things you get to do. You might get to learn how to play piano. You might get to learn to visit. So you get to go visit some galaxy. You might get to go to the zoo without any cages. There's all kinds of stuff. What do you want to do, right? Maybe it's just seeing Jesus face to face. Maybe you're most looking forward to, you know, my knees aren't going to hurt anymore. My back's not going to hurt anymore. Finally, I'm going to have hair. I mean, whatever it is, what are you looking forward to when Christ returns? Prayer number one, dear God. Thank you for what you did for me on the cross. Prayer number two. Dear God, what do you want me to change and confess? Prayer number three. Dear God, I am so looking forward to blank when you come back. There's three things he wants you to remember. We've got about 10 minutes to do this and to do it correctly. So whenever you're ready, come get the cup and the bread and make sure you do those three things. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these instructions that you've given us, Father, as we uh, take the next 10 minutes. I know that many of us who have grown up in church, been to church for quite a while, this next section, the Lord's Supper communion, so often, so often we see it as just filler. So often, so many of us just see it as um, kind of something that, that, that the people at church do for 10 minutes to, you know, before the pastor gets up and talks. But, but you gave us an instruction that when we gathered, this was to be something we did on a regular basis. And even though we've done it many times, some of us hundreds and hundreds of times, you still tell us that we are to come to this, to this table. And when we, are parti- when we participate, we are to do it in a manner that honors you and that is worthy of you. So this morning, we're going to try it, the very best that we can to do those three things, to remember those key things for which you instituted this symbol for us. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your uh, study guide. It's called, uh, it should say baptism. I think something like, what's the big deal or something like that. Um, We've already talked about the Lord's Supper. We want to focus a little bit on this. Uh, I haven't done this, I think, in about a decade. Ten years I haven't spent 15, 20 minutes talking about this. So if you've already been baptized, just kind of bear with me. This is an important thing. The Bible spends some time talking about. As you're grabbing your study guide, let me just read to you this thing that someone sent me. It says, a drunk stumbled upon a baptism service on a Sunday afternoon down by a river. The minister noticed the old drunk and he said, Mister, are you ready to find Jesus? The drunk looked back, thought, and he said, Yes, Pastor, I sure am. So the minister baptized him, dunked him into the water, and, the, and pulled him right back up. Have you found Jesus, the preacher asked? No, I didn't, said the drunk. 
The preacher then dunked him under this time again for a little bit longer, brought him back up and said, now, brother, have you found Jesus? No, I I did not, preacher. The preacher, in disgust, baptized him a third time, held the man under for 45 seconds, this time brought him up out of the water and said in a harsh tone, friend, are you sure you haven't found Jesus yet? The old drunk wiped water from his eyes and said to the preacher, are you sure this is where he fell in? (laughs) Um, What I want to talk to you about this morning is three questions. Question number one is what is baptism? What is baptism and why does the Bible make such a big deal about it? First thing you need to know about baptism is that it's a symbol of my relationship with Jesus Christ. That third word there is the key word. It's a symbol. It's meant to, to, to represent symbolically what has already happened on the inside of you. A couple of verses that I want to read with you there in your study guide, or we'll put them up on here on the screen. In the book of Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, and I want you to note the analogy that Paul uses in both of these verses we're going to read. He said, when you were baptized, you were buried with Jesus Christ. And in baptized, ba- baptism, you were also raised with Christ. I heard of this church in England. They had a baptistry that was literally in the form of a coffin. Doesn't that sound kind of freaky, kind of weird, kind of awkward? It is to me, but they actually had the symbolism right. Because when the, when the Bible speaks of baptism, it speaks of it essentially as a funeral service. It's the funeral service for your old self. It's the funeral service for your sinful self. It's the funeral service for your destructive way of living. It's the funeral service for the way you used to be before you met Jesus. And baptism is basically when you are lowered into the baptism waters, you are identifying with the death of Jesus Christ. I am dying to my old way of life. I am dying to the sins, just like Jesus had to die for sins. And when I came back up from the waters, I'm identifying with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm identifying with the fact that now I can be a new person in Jesus Christ. You're basically saying publicly, symbolically, what has already happened internally. You've already accepted him internally. Now, symbolically, you're doing it in front of other people. That's the idea. Now, I want you to notice Romans chapter 6, verse 4. It's the same analogy. Same analogy. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead... We too may live a new life. The idea is that because Christ has come in you, you can live differently now. By the way, this point right here is the reason we don't baptize infants or babies at Bay Hills. Because they haven't done that yet, have they? Who's who's motivated to baptize an infant? Well, it's the parents. It's their faith. It's their commitment to God. And that's a wonderful thing. But that infant has not yet given their life to Jesus Christ. We hope they will someday. Here at Bay Hills, we dedicate them, just like Jesus was dedicated and Samuel was dedicated. And we have several examples and examples in the Bible of children and babies that are dedicated, but they're not not baptized. Because baptism is meant to represent you taking a step in salvation of accepting him as your Savior. Every once in a while, I have someone say, well, I got baptized as a baby. What should I do? And I just say, well, what do you think the Bible tells you you should do? What does the Bible say baptism is? Well, I feel like I'd be like maybe turning my back on my heritage. The issue is not turning your back on anything. The issue is turning to the Bible and doing what the Bible says you should do. My suggestion, I would do it. Do what the Bible says the real form of baptism is. It's to be baptized as a believer, right? Now, um, the key that you have to understand, though, every once in a while we, I hear it, is baptism is the, is the way that, that, that I get saved. No, it's not the way you get saved. 
Baptism is a symbol of your salvation. Just like this wedding band is a symbol of me being married. It's a symbol. This wedding band represents a couple things. It, It represents that I'm taken. It represents that I'm off the market. It represents that I've committed my life to Sandy, my wife, right? Now, every once in a while, um, I don't wear this like when I'm playing sports and it kind of bothers me, you know, I'd racquetball or something, so I don't have it. Now, quick question. If I don't have my wedding band, does that make me unmarried? No, I'm still married, right? Just like being unbaptized doesn't make you not a Christian, but this is a pretty important symbol, don't you think? By the way, you know who the one person in my family who most wants me to wear this? My wife. <laughs> She's like, I don't care if you're playing racquetball or not. You put that on, right? Let me ask the guys a question. Because for some reason, what I've seen as a pastor uh, for 17 years is the guys, more than anyone else, balk at this, at baptism. Let me ask you a question. Let's stay with the same symbol, a wedding band. Well, how would you feel if your wife came to you and said, oh, man, that, that wedding ring you gave me, the big diamond, gorgeous, gorgeous. And when we're at home, when it's just us, I'm going to wear it proudly. You know, when we're in a Thanksgiving, you know, uh, meal with our family, I'm going to wear it around the family. But I've decided when I go to work, when I go hang out with my girlfriends, when I go to a movie, when I go to the health club, when I go shopping at the supermarket, I've decided that I'm just going to leave it, leave it at home. How would that make you feel? At the very least awkward, don't you think? At the very least, awkward, which is exactly how I think God feels with those who profess to believe in him but are unwilling to symbolically do the number one thing he wants you to do after you get saved. That's going to be an awkward conversation you have with him someday. I accepted you as as Savior, but I was unwilling to get baptized. Well, why? It's the number one symbol I asked you to do. It's the number one thing. Second question I want to talk to you about is who should get baptized? Very simple answers. Everyone who has repented and believed in Christ. Everyone who's repented and believed in Christ. A couple of verses, let's put them up on the screen. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized. You know, in the New Testament, there's no such thing as an unbaptized Christian. Well, there's one, the thief on the cross. That's the only one I could think of. But every other person who accepted Christ, boom, right away, got baptized. In fact, some people are so serious about this. Some Christians are so serious about it. They name their church after this ordinance. They're called Baptists. Some of us grew up as Baptists. And Baptists get a bad rap. They shouldn't, you know. They got a lot of things right. And this is one of the things they've got right. This is an important thing. Now, it's such a big deal in the New Testament that sometimes there's a little bit of confusion. Mark chapter 16 is where some of the confusion comes in. I want to put it in to talk to you about it. Look at Mark 16, verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Stop right there. Don't read the rest of the verse. Doesn't it make it sound like you have to get baptized to be saved? You've got to believe in Jesus, have faith. You've got to get baptized, and then you're saved. I mean, that's what the first part of it says. Now, the second part kind of clarifies. But, but whoever does not believe, does not have faith, will be condemned. But why the confusion in the first part of the verse? Let me tell you why the confusion. In New Testament days, um, right after the, the church was established, when you got saved, when you said, I accept Jesus as my personal Savior, the very first thing you did as quickly as possible is get baptized. 
So this is how it would work. If one of you gets saved during this service, and after the service you come up to me and you go, Pastor, I, you know, I decided to invite Jesus Christ into my life. Great. Here's what we're going to do. I got, I'm going to go ahead into the picnic right after you're coming with me. Right after the picnic, we're going to go to the pool, the Pinot Pool Center. We're going to get you baptized right away. If they're not open, we're going to go down to the beach. We're going to baptize you today, this afternoon. And it was done so quickly, back to back, that there was no distinction between one and the other. No such thing as an unbaptized Christian in the New Testament. Everyone did it. Heard a story. Now, we, we don't do that nowadays. We, like, make people wait, and, you know, you have to go through a six-week class. Where's the six-week class in the Bible? I don't see it. No six-week class. Do you believe? Yes. Get baptized. Heard of this pastor who was witnessing to his neighbor. Lived in Michigan and was witnessing to his friend and encouraging him to accept Christ. And finally, the guy said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get, I, I'm, I'm gonna get uh, saved right now, and, uh, but here's what I want to do. Right after I get saved, I want us to walk two blocks down the street to Lake Superior, and I want to get baptized. Now, if you've not lived in Michigan and you've not swum in Lake Superior, you don't know. Any time of the year, it's cold. What makes this story even more interesting is that it was October at 9 o'clock at night. Incredibly cold, almost snow weather. So the pastor says, well, okay. And so he prayed the prayer to accept Christ. They walked the two blocks to Lake Superior. He baptized them. They ran back home, dried off, and had hot chocolate. And then the pastor asked his buddy, why? Why did you want to get baptized? Other, other than that's what the Bible you know, suggests, do it as quickly as possible, why? It's interesting what he said. As I was reading the story, I wrote it down. It says this, I was in the army, an officer in the infantry during Vietnam. I saw and I did things that no man should see or do. I wanted my sins buried in the deepest and the coldest place that I could think of. Don't wait to get baptized. You know, every once in a while, it seems like we have stumbling blocks that come our way. Reasons that people tell me why they aren't getting baptized. Some of them go like this. Well, I don't know enough. I, I, I can't even find Ezekiel in the Bible. How the heck am I going to get baptized? You know, when I know my books of the Bible and I understand, you know, everything about the end times and yada, 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 then I'll get baptized. I don't know enough. Another uh, stumbling block that I hear, I, I, just, I got so much garbage in my life. Pastor, if you only knew, I mean, I got so much garbage. Let me clean up first. Let me get my act together, and then I'll get baptized, right? Uh, another one that I, that I hear every once in a while is like, I have doubts. I got questions. I, got que- I still got questions about the whole creation thing. And I, I got this other guy, a you know, friend that goes to a Methodist church and one that goes to Assembly of God, and they're telling me a couple different things. I just got some questions and doubts, and I'm, I'm just not sure yet. So let me get those questions answered, and then I'll get baptized. Another one I hear surprisingly is this. You know, I, I know you're right. I should have got baptized when I was a teenager or younger, but now I'm a little bit older, you know. I just, I don't look that good in a bathing suit, so I want to spare the congregation, you know, and let's just, you know, I believe in them anyway, right? And it's kind of that I'm embarrassed and kind of a thing. The the problem with every one of these is this. The minute you start waiting to get baptized until you check off some things, you come dangerously close to living what's called a works-based Christianity, Something that believes that you have to do certain things and believe certain things and do certain things and actions before God will be pleased and happy with you. Now, is there a place to clean up your act and change? Yes, but it's not before baptism. You go, well, what if someone's smoking weed and and getting drunk and sleeping around and cussing like a sailor? Get baptized anyway. See, seemed like the Holy Spirit was speaking right there. 
I hope that they'll stop cussing and start changing their life. But you don't do that in, at, before baptism. No, there's one prerequisite and one prerequisite only for being baptized. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? If the answer is yes, get baptized. I had someone after second service say, well, I, you know, I know you gave all those things and said, but I, I, feel, I, I, I don't tithe yet. Who cares? Get baptized anyway. It, give with a good heart. Do the best you can. But that, there's no connection between anything. It's one thing. Do you believe in Jesus? Have you accepted into your, into your life? Yes, get baptized. Don't overthink it. Now, last thing I want to share with you. Why should I be baptized? I'm going to give you four or five reasons that, that the Bible gives us. First reason is because God, Jesus commands it. He actually gives a command. Matthew chapter 28. I don't have it on the screen for you, but it's a very important passage. At the end of Matthew chapter 28, in verses 19 and 20, we have this thing called the Great Commission. I, I hear pastors and churches talk about the vision of the church. I, I think that that's important. I'm much more about the mission of the church. Whether you're in Bangladesh or Cape Town or El Sobrante, every church should have the same mission. We are all meeting for the same reasons. We all gather for the same purpose. And Matthew chapter 8 tells us what, tells us what that purpose is. And it starts out, and Jesus says this. He gives instructions to his disciples thereafter to you and I as his church. This is what he says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Yeah, let's do that. Let's evangelize people and help them come to Christ. Let's help them grow in their faith. Let's do that. You know what the very next thing it says? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then it's very interesting. After that, it says, and then teaching them how to obey. It doesn't say, get them saved, teach them how to obey, and then get them baptized. No, no, no. Get them saved, baptize them, and then teach them how to follow, obey, and live a life that is pleasing to God. I don't know how else to say this. I would hope I could stop right here. Jesus commanded you to do it. That's what he asked you to do. He commands us to do it. There are other reasons that are given. Second reason is to follow his example. To follow the example of Jesus, Matthew chapter 3 is a very interesting story. Now, I'm going to take in a little tangent. Just bear with me. I think it's interesting. Question, why is Jesus getting baptized? I want you to think about it for a minute. I thought we just established baptism is for people who have confessed their sin, got saved, they're going to get baptized. Wait a minute. I didn't think Jesus had to get saved because he didn't have any sin. So why is he getting baptized by John the Baptist is the baptism of repentance if he doesn't have any sin. Do you see the problem here? What is he doing? What is Matthew, Matthew chapter or Mark chapter 3 about? What is going on here? Let me just imagine with you just for a little bit what I think is going on here. I think Jesus is starting his ministry the same way he's going to end his ministry. He's going to focus at the very sa- at the, on the very same thing when he starts his ministry, which is the baptism, as he does at the crucifixion. Same thing. Let's just pretend this is how it worked out. There's a crowd of people and they're all wanting to get baptized, which is what it seemed happened. I mean, everybody was coming to John the Baptist. They wanted this baptism of repentance, right? It's a baptism of repentance of your sin. There's a big long line and there's a booth. There's a table over there. There's an awning. You go through the line. You get to the front of the line and, and the person, the, the administrator of the baptism says, okay, here's what we need you to do. Um, well, what's your name? So you give them your name. They write your name on a name tag and they go, okay, tell us your worst sin. We're going to put it right underneath your name. Excuse me? Yeah, that's what we got to do to get baptized. It's the baptism of repentance. Well, okay. George, line. Okay, go ahead and put that on. Next person, Sally, gossip. Okay, go ahead and put that on. Luke, 
Adultery. Do I actually have to put that on? Yeah, put it on. Boom. You know? Pete, murder. And it goes on and on and on. So everybody's got a name tag with the name of their worst sin underneath. Jesus shows up. He goes, I, I think I want to do this. I, I think it's important for me to do this. So he gets in line. He goes to the, he gets to the end of the booth. He gets there, and there's the administrator for baptisms, right? What's your name? Jesus of Nazareth. What's your worst sin? I don't have any. Well, you've got to have a sin if you're going to get baptized. Those are the rules. So Jesus goes, well, I think I've got, got an idea. Can you give me your name tag? And so he takes the name tag. Can you give me your name tag? Puts it on. Can you give me your name tag? He, before you know it, he's got everyone's name tag on him. All their names with all their awful sins on them. His chief of staff comes up to him and goes, you know, <clears throat> we're just getting ready to start this uh, Messiah movement with you as our leader. It does not look good with you to have, have some of those awful names on you. Do you think you could take some off? And he's like, just chill out, right? He goes down to John the Baptist. He says, I want to be baptized. So Jesus is lowered into the baptism waters. And the interesting thing happens when he comes up. They haven't used permanent marker, so when he comes up, all the ink is washed away. All the sins are washed away, and Jesus stands up, and he gives his first lesson to the crowd, and he says, I want you to know something. As far as the east is from the west, that is as far as God wants to take your sin from you, and I'm the one that can make that possible. You know what he's doing at baptism? The same thing he did on the cross. On the cross, he takes the sin of the world on his shoulders. He didn't become a sinner. He took it on his shoulders. And at baptism, he's identifying with sin. Same issue, same thing. And he's basically saying in both instances, I have come to deal with the most massive, awful problem that mankind has, sin. And I'm your answer. I'm your answer. So I'm going to get baptized so that I can give you an example to follow. If he did it, why not you? Really, why not you? Let me give you a couple more reasons. The third reason is because the Bible says it's important to publicly profess your commitment in Jesus Christ. It's important to publicly do that. First, Second Timothy 2.8, let me just read it to you, says, don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Don't be ashamed to do that. One of the most unfortunate phrases that we use in the Christian church here in America is this one, quote, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I know what people mean when they're saying that. What they're saying is, I can't have, you know, like my kids, they can't have a relationship with God because of me. You can't have a relationship with God through the church. No, it has to be personal. It has to be you and Jesus, personal. Okay? The problem is that so many people have changed and added to the meaning of that phrase. For many people, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ really means a private relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, it's just between me and God. Have you ever heard that before? I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower, but I don't need that church thing. Really? Then there's about a hundred different commands in the New Testament you can't even follow. You can't even do them unless you're part of a church. Private faith? I don't see that at all in the Bible. No, it's public You need to be open about it. You don't have to be a punk about it, but you have to be open about it. And it means more than just wearing a cross around your neck. It means being willing to dialogue about it and being open about you being a follower of Jesus Christ. It means that it should be corporate. It's not just about me and Jesus. It's about me and you and me and you and me and you. and, And we all together work to grow in Jesus Christ. It should be public. 
I had someone, one of the teenagers, come after first service and say, I think I want to do it, but I have a quick question. Is this baptism thing, is it, is it done in front of people? Yeah, that's the point. We put the baptistry right there. We baptize you right there in front of everybody. She says, well, that would make me really nervous. Good. It tells me you're serious about it. Nothing wrong with being nervous. It just means you're taking it serious. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Why should you get baptized? Because he commands it, because we want to follow his example to publicly profess our commitment to Jesus Christ. Third, fourth reason is to declare your intention to live for Jesus, to declare that you want to live for Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, one of the most philosophical and interesting passages on baptism, Paul says this, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. So, <clears throat> pastor, here's what I'm going to do. I'm saved, but I'm just going to, I'm going to sin as much as I can. I mean, I'm just going to let it all out. I'm going to sin as much as I can because when I do that, then I get to come back to Jesus. I get to ask for forgiveness. I get to confess my sin, receive repentance, and receive his grace, which means that his sacrifice for me on the cross is even more valuable to me than it is for someone else. Paul would say, if you were to say that, you're an idiot. That's the by no means exclamation point. You don't live a life of sin because you get and receive more grace. No, your life should change because of grace. It should change because of the atonement. We died to sin. That doesn't mean you won't be tempted. We'll all be tempted. It means that you don't have to be controlled by it anymore. You died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? There's something that happens when you get baptized. It's not magic water. It doesn't make you saved. It doesn't wash your sin away. But there's something about publicly saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do the best I can to live for him. Every once in a while, you know, especially when I'm watching the Raiders, bad words are going to come out. I can't help them. They play awful. I'm going to try and do a little bit better, but I'm not perfect. I'm going to try and live for Jesus. I'm going to try to do that read a story about a machinist at the Ford Motor Company in Detroit, became a Christian, got baptized. He was an older man, and um, his life started to change. He started to change the way he talked, and his attitude started to change, and his behavior started to change. And God was really working on him, and he was growing in his, in his walk, and he, he became convicted. He had worked for so many years for the Ford Motor Company, and, and, and over all these years, he'd been stealing. He'd taken parts and been taking tools home with him. And he, he, he was convicted that wasn't the right thing to do and he should make restitution. So one day he went to his garage and he gathered up all the tools that he'd stolen. He took them back the next Monday. He talked to his foreman. He said, you know what? I just want you to know I got saved and I got baptized and my life's been changing and I've been stealing and I want to bring these tools back as restitution. I just want to ask for your forgiveness. I'm, I'm really sorry I did that. And, and the foreman was like, wow, well, thank you. That's, that's great. I mean, absolutely we'll take them and get back to work. And this foreman was so impressed, he decided to, to send a cable to Mr. Ford, who was in Europe, checking out another plant. So Mr. Ford got this cable, and he responded, and Mr. Ford said this in response to the story, quote, dam up the Detroit River and baptize the entire city. <laughs> Why? Because I'm just telling you, something happens when you get baptized. And some of you are wondering, why do I seem to be stuck spiritually for some of you it could be this simple it could be this simple the last reason because there's always a blessing when you obey god there's always a blessing you guys know the name paul harvey paul harvey the radio guy um avowed christian 
as an elderly man, had never been baptized. And one day he was, or one time, he was vacationing in Cave Creek, Arizona. Um, he and his wife decided to attend a small church. There was no more than 30 people, he said there. And the pastor was preaching on baptism, same stuff we're talking about today. And uh, he said, if anyone hasn't been baptized here and understands what it's about and why you should do it, I want you to come forward right now, and uh, we're going to make this happen. And, um, and so he did that. Paul Harvey went forward and he decided he was going to be baptized. And Paul Harvey said this, quote, about his baptism. The change this simple act made in my life is so immense as to be indescribable. Since totally yielding to him in baptism, my heart can't stop singing. Also, perhaps because baptism is such a public act and because one's dignity gets as drenched as one's body, I discovered a new unselfconsciousness in talking about my beliefs. You will be blessed. God will bless you when you obey him in this area. Why should you get baptized? Number one, because Jesus commands it. Number two, to follow his example. Number three, to profess publicly you're a follower of his. Number four, to declare that you're going to try and live for him. Number five, because there's always a blessing. Number six, there's not a blank, but if you want, you can write it down. Another reason you should get baptized. If you get baptized here at Bay Hills, um, you actually uh, will receive a bobblehead of your favorite staff member. So write that down. Some of you really want one of those. I want you to grab this right here. It looks the same as your notes. I'm almost done. It says baptism at the top, and then it's got like name and a blank. And just, just grab it real quick. I want to look it through with you. It says this right at the top. If you have made a decision to follow Christ. Now, some of you maybe have never done that. Maybe that's your decision today. I'm going to follow Jesus. That would be a good decision. But if you've already made a decision to follow Christ by giving him control of your life, and you would like to follow in obedience. Guys, honestly, that's what it comes down to. Am I going to obey him in this? Or am I not going to obey him? If you've chosen, I want to follow in obedience by being baptized. Please provide the following information. Place the paper in the offering bag. Or you can give it to me. Fill that out. It's just very basic. Your name, you know, we have a couple times. In, one in August, one in September. And then very, very briefly, how you accepted Christ as your Savior. I want to encourage you to do this. I, don't, I want to encourage you, don't overthink it. And, 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 you know, my guess is that you sense the Holy Spirit churning and, and talking to you and saying, you know, this is a good thing. This is a right thing that you should do. I want to encourage you to do that. Let's pray. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just want you to reflect on what you've heard today about the two symbols that are important to Jesus. The symbol of Lord's Supper. I want you to, to make a decision that from now on, and as you celebrate the Lord's Supper, and you probably will do it many, many more times as a follower of Christ, that you'll try and especially concentrate and especially remember those two or three things he wants you to do as you partake. If you're here today as a follower of Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized, I just, as, as your pastor, as someone who cares for you, as someone who wants the best for you and for you to grow in Christ, I want to encourage you to fill that form out. I want to encourage you to take that step and... Um, and acknowledge publicly you're a follower of Jesus Christ for the many reasons we've talked about. Dear Heavenly Father, you are a good God, and we're so incredibly thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ. The reality is that sometimes we have taken baptism and Lord's Supper for granted. We have assumed um, that Lord's Supper is just a filler in the service before the pastor comes up and teaches it's just something we put in every once in a while because we don't have anything else to do. And Father, remind us that it's not like that. 
that you gave us that instruction. And you told us that that it is an important thing to do. And like baptism, these two incredible symbols point to your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did for us. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful that um, he not only died and rose from the dead, showing and proving who he was, paid for our sins. But he's the kind of God, he's the kind of Jesus that's coming back. And because of that, not only because of that, but because of that, it is our desire to live a life that honors you and that is pleasing to you. Help us do that in these two areas, we pray. In Jesus' name. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.